Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Landon Johnson as he shares this week's message. Morning, everybody. So uh, apparently I'm consistent because I've had multiple people come up to me this morning and say, oh, you must be preaching today because you're wearing slacks. So now I know. If you're wearing jeans, you're being casual. If you're wearing slacks, you're preaching. So today's message is going to be on the topic of communion, the Lord's Supper. Um, So we'll be celebrating that next week. So the hope is that we can take some time, look really deeply into what communion is, what Lord's Supper is, and then when we come back to celebrate it next week, we can have a deeper appreciation of what we're partaking of. And so... We're going to dive really deep, we're going to exegete, we're going to, we're going to use hermeneutics, we're going to use all of the tools that we have at our disposal to answer the question that has been plaguing communion since the dawn of time, which is, do you use wine or do you use grape juice? <laughs> Today we will have an answer and we will know for sure. So buckle up, it's going to be an hour, we're going to go in, wine or grape juice. No, we're not going to do that. <laughs> We'll we'll touch on that a little bit as we get into it. Obviously, that's not going to be the focus. We're going to answer three questions. First question, what is the Lord's Supper? What is communion? Second, how do we celebrate it? And third, or sorry, second, how do we celebrate it? And third, why do we celebrate it? So we're going to answer the what, the how, and the why of Lord's Supper. So if you would, dive in with me. Our passage today is going to be 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 23 and go through verse 26. So if you have your your copy of God's Word, go ahead and jump in. Jump there to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, If you don't have a Bible and you'd like one, definitely let myself or Rob know. We have free Bibles that we can give to you. We would love for you to have a copy of God's Word that can be your own. Starting in verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also deliver to you, that Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Go ahead and pray with me as we dive into this. Gracious Father, we come before you this morning. We want to pull apart this just most uh, beautiful passages that helps explain to us something that is uh, incredibly important to you, and we know it was so important to you because you gave it to the disciples the night before you knew you would be given up to die. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to be thinking deeply about what uh, what this is, what the Lord's table is, what it means to us, why we should partake of it, and that from this, Lord, we might be able to garner a deep, deep understanding that helps us to approach your communion, your Lord's table, with a, uh, just a deeper maturity and a greater understanding of what a blessed gift it is. We pray this in your most blessed name. Amen. All right, so we're going to start with the what. And as we always do, we have to lay the groundwork. So we've got to go all the way back to the Old Testament. We're going to start digging in, see where all this came from. So, quick question. What were Jesus and his disciples celebrating that night in the upper room? Remember? Passover. I heard it somewhere. Yeah. Uh, Passover. So, Passover commemorates God liberating the Jewish nation, Israel, from 
Egypt and allowing them to then leave and come into the promised land after spending time in the desert because they were foolish and so on and so forth. But they're celebrating Passover. So they're there for a specific reason. They're having the Passover meal. Passover had established metaphors and it had established meanings. It was already a, uh, something that was uh, uh, given to Israel as something they should do. So we're going to look into Exodus 12 really quick, starting in verse 3. This is Moses, or God commanding Moses. He says, Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of the month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. This is the blood offering for sacrifice. We read the passage from Hebrews about the need for forgiveness of sins and the shedding of blood. Then they shall take some of that blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you or destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So the wine remembers that moment where God told them, I want to know that you have uh, paid a price for the sins in your life so that when judgment comes, I can pass over you and not give you the judgment that you rightly deserve. And so he tells them to slaughter lambs, put the blood onto the lintels of their houses, which is the door frame over the house. And then when God's spirit passed through Egypt, it didn't touch them. There's also unleavened bread that's eaten. Uh, verse 11, in this manner you shall eat with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. So be ready to walk out the door. You shall eat in haste on this Lord's Passover. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, a statute forever. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. So the key with unleavened bread is that it is uh, something that doesn't take a long time to prepare. You can put all the stuff together, roll it in, lay it out flat, and then it's basically ready to go as soon as it dries. Versus making bread proper, you got to spend a lot of time letting the um, yeast rise and all the rest of it. If you want to really know about that, talk to Nicole. She breaks bread, so she understands that process way better than I do. But it takes a lot of time. You have to plan for it. You have to take time to do it. And God wants them to remember, you need to be ready at a moment's notice. When I say it's time to go, you get up and you go. You have to be ready for my commands. And it's unleavened as the idea of being set apart. So God uses the, um, the imagery of leaven throughout the Bible all over the place to talk about being set apart and holy. You are not to have leaven in your bread. And so for the seven days that Passover was celebrated, uh, the Jews would go throughout their house and they would completely get rid of all the leaven that was in their house. God said, you can't have it, seven days, no leaven. This was a metaphor for the idea of you are set apart, you are holy, you are something different than everything else that is around you. You are a unique nation. So the Passover is a memorial. It was a way to remember. Look at Exodus 12, 14 specifically. Sorry. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. It was something that they used to remember. Use this as a way to look back and remember that time when you were in Egypt and when God saved you. So now, Let's leap forward and look at our New Testament narrative, compare those against each other. The passage we're going to be diving into is in 1 Corinthians, but we have three other descriptions of the um, Last Supper, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So we'll pull from Mark for this one, Mark chapter 14, verses 22 through 25. As they were eating, he, being Jesus, took bread, 
and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it in the kingdom, drink it new in the kingdom of God. So they're there celebrating Passover. They have established images. They have established meanings for the uh, meal that they are partaking of. And then Jesus takes those elements that have meanings already and gives them new meanings. He takes that unleavened bread and he says, this is my body. He breaks it. He says, this is my body. He takes an old covenant and makes it a new covenant. Same thing with the wine. That's a remembrance for the price of mercy, the blood of the lamb that was sacrificed. He takes that and says, this is my blood. So he took old images, old ways of remembering, and he gave them new meanings, prophetically knowing what they would be used for. He knew that he would be sacrificed. He knew that his blood would be spilled. And he said, this Passover feast that you used to partake of under the old covenant, when you were under the law, when you were under the Mosaic statutes, that is going to be under a new covenant now. You're still going to remember, but they're going to mean new things. The wine's my blood. The bread is my body. So really quickly, let's look at the sacrificial system. There was a reason that they sacrificed animals, the reason that the Passover lamb had to be given. So uh, looking in Leviticus, where you can see all those laid out, uh, starting in chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, the Lord called Moses uh, and spoke to him at the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish, and he shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting, so that he may be accepted before the Lord. So the reason for these sacrifices was not just something that God told them to do because he likes animals being slaughtered. He was trying to show them a picture. Sin comes with a price. If you wish to stand before God, who is infinitely holy, you have to be purified. You cannot bring your sin into his presence. And so in order for the people of Israel, prior to Christ coming as the full fulfillment of sacrifice, God had a picture of what it meant to pay the price for sin. He said you need to sacrifice an animal that is without blemish, something that is perfect, so that you can see what it costs that you disobey my law. Only then can you come into my presence and be accepted before the Lord. So really quickly, we're going to jump back to Psalm 51. We're going to look at the Psalm of David. So this is the psalm that David wrote um, after the whole sordid affair with Bathsheba. And it's David crying out for mercy. And he gets to the end of it. We'll uh, read through, starting uh, at the very beginning. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. And he goes on to talk about his transgressions, asking God, please purge me, make me clean. I have sinned against you, making me a clean heart. And then down in verse 16, he says, you, you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. Now think about that relative to what we just read in Leviticus. God says, if you're going to offer a burnt offering, you have to offer that if you want to come before me. You have to pay a price for sin. David in the spirit, knowing that he is a forebear of the Redeemer who would come, he says, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. Why? 
the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. David knows that there's a Redeemer coming and that the picture that they have to give of sacrificing these animals, offering blood, it's something that is pointing towards something greater. So we know that sin needs to be punished. We know that God is a God of justice. I mean, just a quick survey of uh, verses. You've got Isaiah 13, I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. Proverbs 11, be assured an evil person will not go unpunished, but the offspring of the righteous will be delivered. Matthew 25, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Isaiah 3, woe to the wicked, it will be ill with him, for what his hands have done, it shall also be done to him. Psalm 11, let, lo let the Lord rain coals on the wicked, fire and sulfur and a scorching wind be the portion of their cup. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Over and over and over again, the scriptures tells us, God doesn't allow sin to pass. It is going to be punished. There will be justice. Evil does not get a free pass. But, praise God, he's made a way for us to not pay the price of our sins. He's given us a way to have salvation. And that salvation comes through Christ, who intercedes for us. The sacrificial system looked forward to something that would come later. So in Hebrews 9, starting in verse 11, when Christ appeared as a high priest for the good things that have to come, that through the greater and more perfect tent he entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. So Christ goes forth, he fulfills all of the demands of the law, not by sacrificing an animal, but by sacrificing himself. And because he is the only one ever to have lived perfectly holy, to have not been born into sin, he is the only one who could fulfill these things such that his blood could pay the price for us. So, that was our groundwork. Now we're going to dive into our passage. Come back with me. We're going to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 23. We're just going to go through it line by line. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. Yeah, let's stop there for a second, think about that. So this is Paul. He's writing to the church in Corinth, a church that's got all sorts of problems. He's trying to make it so that they celebrate the Lord's table properly. And he says, I received from the Lord what I've also delivered to you. So what he's about to tell you comes straight from the Lord. Now, we know our history. Paul was not in the upper room, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, Paul's not there. He doesn't know what took place in that room. Paul tells us, I received from the Lord. So he's saying, I got this from Jesus, but he wasn't there. So really quickly, there's a, a portion in Galatians where Paul talks about his induction into um, the body of Christ and how he was taught. So starting in verse 11, I'll run through this really quick. Paul is talking to the church at Galatia. He says, I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel was, that was preached to me was not man's gospel, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church violently and tried to destroy it. I was advancing Judaism beyond many of my own age. I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before 
who set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult immediately with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those apostles who were before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus, and then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, which is um, Paul, or, uh, Peter, and remained with him 15 days. So Paul, when he says, I received from the Lord what I delivered to you, for those three years, Paul went away and received directly from Jesus training and instruction in what scripture had to say about this new covenant. And so after three years then, Paul goes and visits Peter to basically present himself as someone who can faithfully present the word of man. I would love to have been sitting in that room. Like, can you imagine Peter, right? Like Peter went through the whole thing, right? He is like the apostle that was so passionate about Christ and yet messed up so many times. Uh, was it someone says uh, Peter was the apostle with a foot-shaped mouth. She kept sticking his foot in his mouth. Uh, and like, but he suffered alongside Christ. He watched Christ crucified. He was there when the Last Supper was given, when the New Covenant was given. And then this guy Paul shows up, who has a reputation for killing Christians zealously. They spend 15 days together. Like that must have been a really tense room for the first hour or so, where he's trying to figure out what's going on. And I'd be, I'd be curious to know what went on. I would assume those two men were testing each other. Paul, having received direct instruction from Christ, went to Peter to see, do you guys really believe the right thing about Christ? And Peter, naturally, as someone who came before, is going to say, who is this guy who is showing up and saying that he received instruction from Jesus directly? So at the end of those 15 days, all of the apostles agreed, Paul is someone to be listened to. This man has been commissioned by Christ. So they knew that Paul had in fact received direct training from Jesus and he knew what he was talking about. So Paul is basically giving his bona fides. He is saying, I received this from the Lord directly, what I'm about to tell you about the Lord's table. So we can trust what Paul is about to tell us. Now going on. We're going to go through three different portions as we get through this of how uh, so the, uh, we've done the what, which is, this is the sacrificial system. We've laid the groundwork of understanding this. Paul has told us, what you're about to receive from me, I got straight from Jesus. So we understand the what. Now we're going to get to the how. So this portion is the physical. Physically, how do you partake of the Lord's Supper? We're going to do the physical, the mental, and the spiritual. So physically that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. So this is Jesus taking the bread and giving thanks and breaking it. Jesus says, on the night when he was betrayed. Now, let's take just a quick second and not just pass over that. So that tells us contextually when it happens, right? This is the night that Judas is going to bring the Roman soldiers, and it's going to start that whole series of events that's going to end with Jesus sitting on a cross. What would you do with the last day that you had alive? That's a pretty common question that just gets thrown out there as like one of those thought experiments, right? Like if you only had one day to live, what would you do? Most people spend time with family or, you know, if you had a broken relationship, try to mend it, whatever that is. Jesus knows this is his last day on earth before he is sacrificed. He is living out that question that we get asked as just a thought. 
And so this is the night he's going to be betrayed. This is what he chooses to do. When we get asked that question, our thought is, what is the most important thing I can possibly do? And we try to figure out what the most important things in our lives are. For Jesus, giving the Lord's table, giving communion to his disciples was one of the most important things that he could do. So that tells us how important this was to Jesus. So he takes that first element, bread. He breaks it, and going on, he says, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is my body, obviously a metaphor. Christ is talking about the bread as a representation of his body being broken. So in Matthew, it says, now as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, gave it to the disciples, said, take, this is my body. And Mark, as they were eating, he took the bread and blessing it, he broke it, gave, them, gave it to them, said, take, this is my body. And then Luke, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them. This is my body, which is given for you. Over and over and over, the same story. Christ took bread, and he broke it and said, this is the metaphor for my body. And then he says, this is for you. He didn't die in vain. He also didn't die at random. When he broke his body, he broke it for you. Every single person individually. For Matthew, for Emily, for Maria, Ken, every single one of us in this room. His body was broken for you. And then he says, do this in remembrance of me. So it's important that we remember that this is not a new sacrifice, right? This is not, um, as you would see in like a Catholic liturgy or something like that, where they believe that Christ is being sacrificed over and over and over every time they do communion. Christ specifically says, do this in remembrance of me. There was a Christ, there was a sacrifice given once and it was only given once for all. Christ doesn't die over and over and over. He did it once and it was fully sufficient to cover everything that was necessary for the forgiveness of sins. So he says, do this in remembrance of me. Moving on to verse 25, in the same way he also took the cup after supper. So we had our first element, the bread. Now we've got our second element, the cup. Now we get to come back to our joke from the beginning, wine or juice. Now, specifically it's unknown and somewhat uncertain. We know that it was called the fruit of the vine. It's described as either the cup or the fruit of the vine everywhere in scripture. Now, we know that fruit of the vine would have been grapes in all likelihood. That was the thing that was mostly grown there. Most likely it was wine. It's, it's unlikely that it was juice, but honestly we don't know. And because scripture doesn't give a super specific thing that says, and Christ took wine and said, use wine and so on and so forth, it has been historically understood by Christians that there's grace, right? We use juice, we use unleavened bread. Um, other congregations have a different choice. They choose to use wine instead. There's Christian freedom here. Um, there's no reason to come down hard on one side or the other, which unfortunately doesn't do much for our WWE analysis of who gets, who gets to win. But most likely it was wine, but there's no uh, uh, hard commandment on one side or the other. Moving on the verse, it says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now we could spend a whole sermon series, like a series, 
going over what Jesus meant when he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. The idea of taking everything that was old and replacing it with something new was revolutionary. This, was, this is why people grabbed stones and tried to kill Jesus often throughout his ministry, because he was saying things that were fulfillment of scripture in a way that people didn't want to hear and in a way that they were not ready to accept. Jesus was saying, what you believed throughout the entirety of the Old Testament, what God gave to you in the old Mosaic Covenant, I'm changing all of that. I fulfill all of that, and I'm giving you something new. This is a new covenant. That's a radical, radical statement. It upends four millennia of history and replaces it with something different. So he takes that, says this is a new covenant. It's a covenant of grace. So where that old sacrificial system was all about sacrifice, paying of blood, and uh, uh, over and over and over having to give that same sacrifice every year, coming to the temple, coming to the tent, giving that sacrifice, Christ knows that his will be sufficient and for all time. So he says, this cup represents the new covenant. There will be one more sacrifice of my blood, and then we will be complete. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So the do this as often as you drink it, now this deals with the idea of frequency. How often do you need to take the Lord's table? Again, there's no specific command given for how often you do this. We choose to do it once a month. Other churches do it weekly. There are other churches that do it quarterly. Uh, the, the wisdom seems to be do it as often as you need to so that the gravity and weight of what this means is present for you. For us, doing it once a month is, at the moment, feels like the right pace of things. That may change someday. Maybe we get convicted and we think that really we should be doing it every week. We don't know. Right now, there's no command specifically at what rate you need to do it. Once a month feels like it's right for our congregation to remember why this is so important, to come close to the throne of grace through that means, to understand what it meant. And so don't, uh, don't get hung up on that if someone else, you've got a friend or something who goes to a different church and they change the rate at what they do it. None of that is particularly cogent to do it. Other than that, you do do it. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Again, not a new sacrifice. This is not something that is effective for your salvation. It is not something that if you don't partake of it, you are not going to be able to be a Christian. It is a remembrance of something great that is where your salvation comes from, which is the sacrifice of Christ on that cross. Which brings us back, it's a memorial. Romans 6.10, for the death he died to sin, he died once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Hebrews 10, and every priest shall stand daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. This is talking about that old sacrificial system, remembering David saying that you're not going to be delighted in these sacrifices because what you want is our hearts. Verse 12, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, one, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his, for his feet, for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Jumping down to verse 18 then, where there is forgiveness for these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Christ did it once and it was fully sufficient. So let's take a moment to think about that do this remembrance of me. We looked at the 
how, which was the physical aspect, right? We partake of wine, we partake of bread. Now we get to the mental portion of it. Do this in remembrance of me. It's a memorial. It's something that we use to recall what was. So when we come before the Lord's table, when Rob stands here and he reads the passage of scripture, reminds us what it is when we pray for the blood, when we pray for the cup, when we pray for the bread, we don't go on a mental vacation. We don't think about what the latest sports ball game was or whatever concert we went to or the schooling we've got or our job or our families. We're present and we're remembering. We're remembering a real flesh and blood man, God incarnate, who went to a cross and had his body broken and his blood spilled for us. It is so, so poignant to think about that moment. So when you come before the table, don't do it flippantly. If there's other things in your mind, fight so hard to crowd those things out and focus and put yourself at the foot of that cross and remember the price that was paid. That's what it means to do this in remembrance of me. So we got to see the how, we got to see the why. The how is the physical, or sorry, we got to see the how, or the what, which is the physical. We got to see the how, which is the mental. Now we're gonna look at the why, which is the spiritual. Verse 26, the last verse. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, again, no requirement of frequency. Do it as often as you need to in order to understand how important it is. You proclaim the Lord's death. This isn't something that's done in private. When, the, when this was instituted and when the early church was partaking of it, there were a lot of rumors that swirled around in the Roman world where there were ac accusations of cannibalism because it was referred to as the body and the blood. Um, that you know, this was some kind of cult that was pushing all sorts of things. You proclaim the Lord's death. This is a public celebration. When we partake of the body and the blood, the bread and the wine, and we partake of the Lord's Supper, we do it publicly. We invite the church to see what is going on here. If you are a Christian, we invite you to partake of this. If you are not a Christian, we ask you not to partake of it, but to be present to watch, to see this celebration that we have and understand what it is. It is a proclamation of Jesus' death and a reminder of what he has done for us. So this isn't something that's done in secret. This isn't some weird cultic practice. This is a, a loud and open and poignant proclamation of the sacrifice that God made for us. And we do this until he comes. So until you die, or until Christ's second coming and he takes you home to heaven, we do this. This is a commandment. We cannot ever stop partaking of communion. We are always partaking of this. So that gives us our physical, our mental, our spiritual, the what, the how, and the why. And in closing, uh, I just want to give a 
warning about why this is so important and the way that God views this so that we can understand why this isn't something that we should come to flippantly. And for that, I'm just going to read on from where we ended, start in verse 27 and go through verse 32. And I want you to prepare your hearts and be thinking about what is about to be said. Take it at face value and don't try to short circuit what's there. Starting in verse 7, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now listen to this. That is why so many of you are weak and ill, and some of you have died. That doesn't mince words. If you partake of the Lord's table unworthily or flippantly, the price could be your death. God could kill you over not respecting communion. Now, shy of receiving judgment and going to hell, that's the worst punishment God can mete out. That's very, very heavy. But let me give you a little bit of hope here. It's not, you know, we don't want to be frightened as we come to partake of this means of grace because, as we go on, if, but if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Now, that word disciplined is very important. Not condemned, disciplined. So even for those who partake of this incorrectly and receive that correction and judgment of being weak, of being ill, or even of dying, that's a discipline, not a condemnation. You cannot lose your salvation because you partake of this table incorrectly. You can absolutely be punished, but God is not going to say, you were a Christian and now you're not. I am removing your salvation from you. So we should come before this very seriously, but we should not be frightened. You will not lose your salvation if you don't partake of this in the incorrect way. But let's also not cut too far in the other direction Let's make sure we remember how serious this is. God says, if you flippantly come to my table, it may be that I will take your health or I will take your life. So be very, very serious as you come before this table. Be very, very serious as you memorialize Christ's death and as you do this in remembrance of him. So we're going to partake of that next week. Rob's going to give us a wonderful message. As we go before God's table, think about what we learned this morning. Be prepared to physically partake of these elements. Mentally, have yourself ready to be thinking about what it is that God is having you do here, what you are memorializing, and then spiritually come before his table ready to partake of this and be encouraged that God's sacrifice was sufficient for all sin and that you do not need to pay the price because he already paid it for you. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Gracious Father, um, whatever, Lord, that I've given that is uh, unhelpful or untrue in this message, I pray, Lord, that you would help it to fall away. Um, let only that which is, which is good and true and beautiful, let that be that which sticks in the hearts and minds of our congregation. Help us to be thinking about this um, this most beautiful of sacraments that you have given to us, this wonderful time where we get to come and remember your sacrifice. We look forward to partaking of it next week, celebrating with our church, and doing that most wonderful of actions that you have given to us, this, uh, 
this communion, this Lord's Supper, where we as a church get to celebrate you and then spend time in love with one another. As we sing now, let us go forth and have a wonderful week thinking of you, praising you, proclaiming you. We pray this in your most gracious name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help hear the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.